How good is our God? He's awesome. I used to live after graduating from high school, like all over the place. Uh, I don't know if, if you grew up here in Gresham. In fact, let me just ask you, how many guys grew up here on the east side in Gresham or somewhere near? Okay, what's up, locals? Good to see you guys. Uh, we're all mad at Californians together. And, uh, but I did the opposite. As soon as I graduated, I was like, see you later, Gresham. I am out. And so I moved all over the place. Uh, when I met my wife, we ended up getting married. And uh, we lived out in like Oregon City, Milwaukee. Is anybody here from out there? No, okay, three of us. Sick. Well, good to see you. So we, so we were all out there and everything. And when I lived out there, uh, it kind of did this dynamic thing to me. Uh, ultimately, we ended up moving back here to Gresham. And uh, what I found was there was this thing I never noticed my entire life growing up. Um, but all of a sudden, when we landed, when we kind of started moving our stuff, I, I literally remember the day we're like walking in Fairview or whatever. And my wife looks at me and she says, why is it so windy out here? Like, what is going on? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like, this is so windy. Like, is it like this all the time? And I'm feeling this wind, like, blow against me. And I'm like, oh. And for me, it was completely nostalgic. Like, all of a sudden, I realized I never noticed this before, but this is a very windy, windy place. And, and, and ever since then, and so it was this interesting thing because I literally didn't realize that I'm like, there is this wind. And I'm looking back, I'm like, man, this is an experience. When you're walking around and there is this, there is this mysterious kind of force, right? And it's always moving. You can't see it, but it's blowing about. And you see its effects. You see the kind of leaves moving around, rustling and all of that stuff. You don't know where it's going, but it's there. And my entire life, I never noticed it. I just, I just never realized, like, man, I have this, there is this force out there. There's this thing kind of stirring and, and moving about, and it feels so right to me that I didn't even realize that it was there. Listen, uh, what I want you to see today is there is a power like that in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so many of you as Christians, you have grown up and, and maybe you believed on Jesus at eight years old and they baptized you and all the things, but you've never realized the power that you have access to. You've never realized that there is this mysterious and beautiful force kind of moving and stirring and changing things in our actual lives. And for you, what I want you to do is wake up today to the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit, to feel this deep and kind of, I don't know, spiritual nostalgia for something that you've always had, but you never realized the beauty of it. And for those of you who, uh, like my wife, so to speak, didn't know that you had this thing out there, didn't know about this power, never felt it before, man, I want you to feel him for the first time today. I want you to know the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is who we're going to talk about today. You guys ready for a message on the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and the reason why you're so excited is because he is the scariest member of the Trinity that no one wants to talk about, and so we're going to get into all the things, but let me, before we get into him and get all the controversy and all the excitement, all the beauty of who he is, let me just tell you the why. We have been going through the Wired series, right? And the whole idea of the Wired series is that you've been wired by God for some things, that you are actually called by God into an adventure with Jesus to make transformation in our city and all this stuff. But I want you to imagine this. <clears throat> I want you to imagine 
that you get a nice MacBook Pro, yes? How many, how many of you guys are Apple people? What's up? The Apple MacBook Pro is one of the best computers out there. Sorry if you like anything other than Apple, you're wrong. Um, <clears throat> We have this, and you open it up, right? And you get out of it, you get your nice MacBook computer, and you're looking at it, and you're like, all its majesty and all the upgrades and all the things you've done to this computer to make it perfect. And you're like, this is a perfectly designed machine. Like, all the things I could do with this machine. But then you, you dig a little deeper, and you look for the what? The power cord. And you realize, they forgot my power cord. <laughs> You'd be super mad. You'd be like, what? What am I going to do? And imagine even worse, there's not even a connector for it. You're like, what are these people thinking? Like, I used to love Apple. Now I'm going to switch to some other terrible kind of computer because I don't have the power to do the very thing that it was designed to do for. Listen, it does not matter how, um, you know, how much beautiful design you have, how much how much intelligence you have, how much uh, initiative you have. It doesn't matter how entrepreneurial you are. It doesn't matter all your gifts and strengths and the things that you have been designed for if you do not have the power source to accomplish the thing for which you have been designed. And so what we need as Christians is not just our own genius and our own brilliance and our own skillfulness and our own you know, beauty and handsomeness and all the things that make you you. Those are all good things, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are sunk. We cannot walk in our calling without our power source. And so that's why we're going to do this. And what's cool is Jesus picks up the exact same metaphor of the wind, this power source, this, this moving Holy Spirit among us in John chapter 3. And, and I want you to look at this. Today, we're not going to go through just one passage. Uh, we are actually going to explore a totality of a systematic theology of the Holy Spirit. But let's begin with John chapter 3, 3 through 8. This is what Jesus says. He says, uh, or it's, rather, the text says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Which is the weirdest question on the face of the planet. Uh, just like, what are we doing here? Verse 5. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. See, our flesh, like just who we are, it's not enough. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We come from God, verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now look, notice this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. But I want you to kind of see the different things we're going to look at today. So number one, we're going to talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Like, who is he? If he's that important to Jesus, we need to know who he is. Number two, uh, we're going to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is everything we're driving at in this series Number three, um, and this is for those of you who love theology, we're going to talk about miracles, healing, and tongues. Oh, my. Okay. We're just going to go right, right for it so that um, we can walk in them. And here's the last one. How do we walk in power? Now, before I get myself in too much trouble, let's pray to the Holy Spirit and ask him for help. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just ask for your near presence and power today. 
God, I pray that for those who are walking in here with struggles and trials and temptations and difficulties and pain points, that you would meet them in power. That you would meet them not just with encouragement and with nudgings, but with real transformative truth deep in their hearts right now in a way that I can't produce. God, we're dependent on you. For those who are walking in here asking, who am I? Where is my tribe? Where are my people? What am I created to do? God, I pray that they would be met today by the power of your Holy Spirit, that your speaking truth would come into their hearts and they would feel who you are. And Lord, for those who are just asking the question, does life have any meaning? Like, is there a God out there? Is my life made for more? I pray that today they would experience you not just as an abstract force or concept or idea, but as a real person who wants to know them and who made them and adores them through the gospel, the blood of Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Here's where I want to start. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood person of the Godhead. And that is a problem. And here's, here's why I think that, okay? And I think that because I'm a pastor at Rice. And what I mean is that at Rise, there are, um, we are not like all from one tribe. You understand the term tribe? We are not all from like one denomination or something like that. In fact, half of y'all weren't even Christians before you walked in those doors some, some time ago, all right? And so uh, we are all our own blend of weirdness, amen? We're just not normal. And, and so one of the ways I know this is because I have two very interesting conversations constantly. The first conversation is uh, a conversation, and they're all about the Holy Spirit, they're all about the Holy Spirit. And one of those conversations happened the other day where I had a buddy, he and I were hanging out, and he says, I'm meeting with this guy, and he's like really wigged out by rice. And he's been coming forever, but he's just wigged out by it. I'm like, well, so what do you mean? And he said, I, he's wigged out because he's like, you guys do that like crazy Holy Spirit stuff. And he's like, oh, what crazy Holy Spirit? He's like, well, you know, like when you guys are worshiping, like I notice people tap their toe a little bit. It's like, it's just like getting wild there at Rice City Church. And he's like, okay. He's like, man, where I come from, we just stand and we sing hymns. And it's like, you're wearing suits and you're just, it's like God's frozen chosen, right? Like, you're not allowed to move lifting your hands. Like, there's revival. Like, we're trying to tamp that out, right? And so it's doctrine and it's God and it's, and it's none of that stuff. And he's just wigged out by it. And so that's one conversation we have. And I'll just ask you guys, how many of you guys grew up? You're like Bible church, Baptist, Presbyterian, something like that. You come from, yes, yes, doctrinal heads. We love you guys. And that is the first time I've ever seen any of you raise your hand. So thank you for that. All right. The other group of you is uh, coming here. If you are a Christian, you're coming here and you're like, when are you guys going to let the Holy Spirit out of his cage? You know, where are my uh, Pentecostal party animals? Yes, a few of you guys out there. They like didn't just raise hands. They're like, woo, yeah, yeah. You guys are loosening your tongues and just getting ready. And so um, this is kind of the nature of Rise. And guess what? We like that. We want that. We want to be a strong Bible church and a powerful Holy Spirit church. Amen. Like, I don't want one or the other. We want both. And so here's what I would ask, that we would reclaim the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so to do that, I just want to uh, present to you three kind of uh, working relationships we can have with the Holy Spirit. Rather than approaching today as, here's the tribe I come from, and here's the verses I cherry pick because of my tribe, let's ask the question, what kind of tribe should we be? Like, what does the Bible actually teach if we give it space? 
And so here's, here's the three working relationships I, I think we can all fall into if we're <clears throat> looking at this. Number one is the first kind of working relationship is to hesitate in regards to the Holy Spirit. This is what I would uh, call functional deism. Functional deism. If you don't know what deism is, it's the theological belief that God is sort of like a grand watchmaker. And there are people who have really believed this throughout history, particularly in early Americas. Um, but that God is this grand clockmaker. He sort of wound it up, created it, and let it go. And God is sort of aloof and distant and not intimately involved today. That is deism, and I, I wouldn't suggest that people who are more doctrinally inclined and don't, don't, you know, practice the things of the Spirit, that they're sort of deists practically or theologically, that they're deists sometimes, we are deists functionally. That like, uh, that we sort of functionally believe, well, I believe that God wound things up, but now God is asleep. And so we don't ask for God to do things. We don't believe that God is going to move. We don't believe that God will stir up awakening here. And so it's functional deism. The second kind of working relationship I think we can have with the Holy Spirit is rather than to hesitate, we full-blown impersonate. We impersonate. And by this, I mean we, on the extreme end of the spectrum, this is sort of sorcery for Jesus, Okay, And what I mean by that is not to denigrate people who are more charismatic on the flip side, but instead talking about the real extreme there, this is where we sort of like believe things like I can almost conjure up the Holy Spirit. Like if we have enough smoke machines, the Holy Spirit's present somehow in the mist there and oil and things. Or we, we, we see people kind of go into a trance, like, man, I'm, I'm so filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm losing control and foaming at the mouth. And it's almost more like, I don't know, New Age or uh, any other world religion rather than Christianity. And what the problem there is, I think, is what we're saying is that I sort of create the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's power and influence originates in me. And what I can conjure up and how I can, uh, you know, uh, claim things and, and kind of get dramatic and emotional. And I'm going to create the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is dangerous because what happens is people really looking for God who don't know him find out that you're sort of creating a fictitious God. This is, uh, reminds me of like, uh, have you guys ever seen that old like Wizard of Oz movie? Back in the day, I'll show you a couple pictures here. Um, do you remember that part where uh, you basically have him and he's, he's in this big cloud and he's got all these lights and rays and he looks like he's this big almost deity or whatever. And then they like look over and they see the kind of curtain and then like she, Dorothy walks over and she like opens the curtain and he's there like controlling machines and stuff. And that's kind of what happens when we sort of try to conjure up the Holy Spirit. We impersonate the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest that both of these extremes are not biblical. And instead present that we don't want to hesitate, neither do we want to impersonate. Instead, I want to make a case for anticipating the Holy Spirit. And what anticipating the Holy Spirit is humble expectation. Humble expectation. Uh, the other, uh, you know, a few months back, Jason and I went to this uh, kind of pastor's conference for something called Alpha. And um, what we were doing there is kind of learning and growing, and it was very, like, I, I don't know, academic. It was a learning environment. But then at the end, uh, they actually are very tuned into the Holy Spirit. And so what they did is they guided all these pastors and leaders from our area, and they said, hey, can we actually get one of the pastors who, you know, a guy named Gerald, he's like, hey, can I have you come up? And at the end, he said, like, what am I up here for? He said, will you, you guys believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? He said, yeah, of course we do. He's like, will you actually lead us in a time of engaging the Holy Spirit? 
and he began to pray. And he's not this guy who's uh, loud and obnoxious and trying to like shake up the Holy Spirit and all this stuff. Um, I think that's more my personality. Uh, but uh, he, he, he just humbly and gently is like, yeah, like, Holy Spirit, if you have anything to say to us, will you speak? And we just closed our eyes and we listened to the Holy Spirit in what? We anticipated him. It was this humble expectation. Not saying you can't move. Not saying if you don't move, I'm going to sort of conjure you up and make it up. But instead saying, like, if, if Lord, you're willing, can we receive you right now? So he's the misunderstood, and I think we need to understand him rightly. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a who. And what I want to talk through is the personhood and the deity of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by this is actually throughout the Bible, we actually see that he is God. He's not a force, sort of like Star Wars. You think of how that works, and you can kind of like control the force and trick people into things and all this stuff. No, he's not a force. He is a person, and he is to be reverenced as God. And so just to look through this, he, he is a he, not an it. Actually, in John 16, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit with uh, masculine personal pronouns. He calls him he, 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 another helper, and he will show up. Uh, secondly, he, he calls people to mission. We see that in Acts as he calls Saul and he says, hey, you and Barnabas are going to go out on mission. He has a will. He has intention for your life. Number three, he chooses our gifts, that he actually decides stuff for you, that he empowers you and he gives you certain particular gifts. Uh, number four, he teaches and guides. If you were merely a force, he would not have a personality and an ability to interact with you on, on a personal level. But instead, he's constantly speaking to us. He's constantly engaging us, and he's talking to us through the Bible and through uh, stirrings and so forth. Uh, next one is that he can be grieved. Uh, some people actually challenge this. Most of the cults challenge the idea of the Holy Spirit. I, mean, no, I don't know if you know this, but Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they say, well, no, the Holy Spirit's not a thing. And we say, yes, he is God because he can actually be grieved. If he were just a force, how could we grieve the Holy Spirit through our sin and brokenness? The next one is that he knows the mind of God. He has a relationship with God. He's not just the force of God, and many have argued for that. But no, he interacts with Jesus, and he knows Jesus' mind. He interacts with the Father, and he knows the Father's mind. Uh, furthermore, he feels jealousy. That when we stray for him, when we sin against him, when we move away from him, he longs for us. He feels this jealous love towards us. And lastly, and there's many more we could go through, but lastly, for, for our purposes today, he can be blasphemed. It was simply a person. He could be another deity or some, some other created being. But no, he is deity because Jesus warns that we don't want to blaspheme, which is to speak against God himself and to reject God himself. And Jesus would never have said that if the Holy Spirit weren't God. And R.C. Sproul writes, do you know who the Holy Spirit is? Do you understand the Holy Spirit in terms of personal relationship? Or does the Spirit remain a vague, misty, abstract concept or an elusive, amorphous force? Forces in and of themselves are impersonal, but the Holy Spirit is not simply an abstract force. He is a person who empowers the people of God for the Christian life. Amen? And so let's now walk through kind of 
if we were to just read the Bible and do literally what's called biblical theology, which is just following the story from Genesis to Revelation, what kind of things would emerge about the Holy Spirit? Like, what do you see when you study the Bible? I want to look at four of them, and here's the first one. If, if we just read straight through the Bible, the first thing you're going to see is that the Holy Spirit creates that he is there in Genesis 1 and he is hovering over the water and he creates all that we see. And so even if you are not a believer in here today, I want you to see this, that when you are walking around swimming through the molecules and the atoms of everyday life and walking up to every person you meet, these are all things that were created by the Holy Spirit. And so in some sense, you already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit today. You don't know it yet, but he is there. He created everything you see. Furthermore, he gives life. And if you are breathing today, we know, uh, especially from last week, that in Genesis 1, the God, the Holy Spirit, God actually breathed life into our nostrils, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit coming in and filling our lungs and filling our souls. And so he's here, and he's with you, and he's in you, and he is the one who's allowing you to live and move and have your being. Furthermore, he animates. The words that describe the Holy Spirit in Greek and Hebrew actually are the same words for breath. That, that it's not just that he breathed in our nostrils as kind of this picture of the life that's inside of us, but he actually is the animating force of life. He is the wind. He is the breath. Ruach or pneuma. These words that we use in the Bible, that they used in the Bible, actually mean those things. And so he is creative. And why that's so significant is because later on, we actually see that he makes us to be creative beings, to live and to do things in his will. Secondly, we see later on in the book of Samuel that he actually rushes upon and empowers kings. And so these are men who are getting called by God to actually step up and to lead God's people. Literally the same thing we are saying here in the Wired series, that you are called to step up and to lead God's people. He, the, the Holy Spirit comes and he rushes upon these kings and he gives them new insight and new dynamism and new power for new leadership. And so he rushes upon kings. But we know that this power that they were filled with, Saul and David, these, these kings of the Old Testament, it was never as much as what we ultimately needed because it was this temporary empowering. And so later on, when we get to the third one here in the New Testament, what we find is that the Holy Spirit actually comes and he breathes new life. He breathes new power, and he even writes scripture through people who are regenerated by his spirit. And what we see is actually in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, is that the Holy Spirit had sort of been, in some sense, contained. He's everywhere, but his power was not yet unleashed and poured out upon the people of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, what we see is this phenomenal story where they're praying and they're seeking the face of God, and God shows up in power. They begin speaking in other languages, praising God in languages they did not know. All these people there for a holiday from all over the world begin hearing their own languages, and, it, and there's tongues of fire over their head, and a new power is unleashed on the church to accomplish ministry that they never could have accomplished and we never could have accomplished on our own. I love theology. This is good stuff. And so he fills the church. And then furthermore, uh, as you continue on in the New Testament and study the epistles, meaning the letters written by the different authors of the New Testament, what we see is that actually the Holy Spirit is given as the sign and seal of what's called the age to come. 
We, there is this age and there is the age to come. And in this age, it's marked by sin and brokenness and disease and the demonic and death. That's the world we live in. It's also called Fox News and CNN. Okay, so you just, there you go. That's what it's called. This age, that pain, we see all of this stuff. But there is these echoes throughout Scripture and in the person and the teaching of Jesus that there is also the age to come. There's the age to come. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and he was sharing that he lost a man who was very dear and near to him. You know what? That man followed Jesus. And that man yesterday, after he died, he heard the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. He entered into another age, and that age to come, that age that will break in and started to break in when Jesus came, and when he comes again, will come in full. Um, that age is an age not marked by disease and death and demonic, but an age marked by joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an age marked by life. It's an age marked by a resurrected life on a new earth with Jesus face to face. Now we see in part, but then we will see fully. And what the Holy Spirit does, and this is what Paul gets at in the New Testament. He says, look, the Holy Spirit came as a sign and a seal. He uses the term oftentimes of uh, basically an inheritance or a guarantee of our inheritance, a deposit some translations will say. Now, what, what, is, what do we mean by deposit? Well, the picture there is how many guys have purchased a home before or a car or anything like that. When you purchase that, they expected 20% down unless you did like an FHA or something like that, right? And you're like working the system and good for you, right? You're smart. We believe in you. But here's the deal. What, what is the whole point of a deposit? What you are saying there is, look, I'm giving you this 20% down to communicate to the lender that I'm actually good for the whole thing. That's what the Holy Spirit came to do. That the Holy Spirit is God's sign that the age to come, it's coming. And if you've ever struggled with the pain of this age, and man, like, why are things so broken? Why is my family struggling? Why do I hurt so deep down? Why aren't things the way they were? Or I wish things would come later on, and I'm anticipating, and there's this ache, right? But what God, the Holy Spirit, when you feel him, when you know him, when you walk with him, it's God communicating to you, listen, the age to come is coming. Here's a down payment. Here's a deposit. And I am good for the whole thing. I'm promised I'm coming back. And that's what his presence in our life. So when we see the Holy Spirit move, when we walk with the Holy Spirit, that is when we know for a fact that things are coming. Sometimes people ask me, hey, how do I know that, that this is all real? How do I have assurance that I'm actually saved? How do I know that Jesus really will come back? I long for that day, but how do I know that day is coming? Here's how you know. You walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You actually know him. You walk with him. You have a daily relationship with him. And, and let me put this out there if you're not a Christian. You're saying, I'm skeptical of these things. Why don't you try it? Like, why don't you ask, Holy Spirit, if you're real, would you show me Jesus? Like, walk with me. Show me that you're real. Be the deposit that that crazy, you know, little brown guy was talking about on Sunday, right? Like, like I want to try this out. Give it a try. Step into belief in the Holy Spirit and say, show me that you're real. And so what does it look like for us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's actually in part, and what deals with this series is we actually walk in our gifts. And so now I want to talk about, because this is very significant, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, um, here's a definition of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are skills and abilities, both natural and supernatural, from God, through you, 
for the sanctification of the saved, the evangelization of the unsaved, and the glorification of King Jesus. That's good news. We think of gifts, and, and maybe you're from a tradition or a tribe of Christianity that's like, we don't talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying the Bible comes in is like, I talk about the Holy Spirit, and I talk about the gifts of the Spirit, and that's because they're good things. And I want us to understand the spirit of the gifts before we just try to walk in the power of the gifts. Let me promise you something. We, as your leadership team at this church, aren't just like strategizing for how to take over Gresham and like win in marketing and like use free slave labor to do it. I am so serious, even as that's hilarious. That's not what I want for you. In fact, um, sometimes it's easier just to build a crowd than to invest in an army. But we have to invest in an army because God did it through Jesus. We don't get to not equip the saints with their gifts. And so why do we want you walking in your gifts? Not so that the name of Rise would be furthered or, or some logo would be out there and, and all that kind of stuff. We're doing this because this is for you, that God actually empowered you, and this is part of what it means to walk with Jesus. You are gifted, amen? You're gifted. And so what is the spirit of this? Well, let me walk through just real quickly a few common misconceptions about the gifts so we understand the spirit. Here's a few. Number one, to understand the gifts is to say, look, they are gifts given to me. That I was given the gift of preaching. That I was given the gift of leading Bible studies. That I was given the gift of leading worship and ripping on guitar. Like, and so, so I have a gift and it's my present given to me by the Holy Spirit on spiritual Christmas morning. That's not what it is. And, and that's actually, it's actually the opposite. They're gifts given through me. This is like if you ever have your kids go with you uh, before Christmas and say, hey, we're actually going to buy gifts for our siblings today. You know what I'm talking about. And, and you say to, to your son, hey, you need to buy gifts for, your for my daughter, for your sister here. And, and he picks out something for her and then you hand it to him, wrap it up for him. And you hand it to him on Christmas morning and he walks out. And it's not a gift to him, it's a gift through him. When you have been given these skills and abilities and talents and, and heart postures and all those things from the Holy Spirit, it's for the people around you. <laughs> like literally, I, t I want you to take a sec, look at the people around you. If you are a Christian especially, like if you've given any sort of gift, the gift of prayer, the gift of helps, the gift of, listen, those people you're looking at, they need your gift. And so the spirit of this is you need to give it to them. Secondly, another misconception is they come through my effort. That I sort of, I, I worked to earn this, like I practiced and I got good at this and this is what I do for work and so I'm bringing it into the church. They came through my effort. No, that's a misconception. They're given by the Holy Spirit. They're not from you. And so we walk in humility and use them mightily for him. And thirdly, they're given so I can express myself. This is where you have the kind of like worship leader guy who's literally like doing push-ups, you know, before he gets on stage to like flex his big muscles and everything. Like this is the spirit of like, hey, like I am gifted. So other people need to know about it. No, no, you are gifted. So other people know Jesus. And so um, this actually came up to me last night as uh, I get, our leadership team was out of town or whatever, and we get this text, and uh, it turns out that uh, my ministry had left a big giant mess, <laughs> like, oops, <laughs> you know, sorry about that. And um, there was some messy things, and we knew this because a gal named Sarah Sigmund showed up at the church. 
to prep some stuff or do whatever she does. And she's the gal that actually uh, leads our hospitality team, brings out coffee, all this stuff, right? All of these, uh, these things that we enjoy Sunday. Like there's somebody actually behind the scenes giving their life to that, <laughs> giving their free time to that, building a team around that. And she saw these things and she texts Chris and friends. She's like, oh, I'll clean it up. Like, like, I'm totally down. I'm here. I'll clean it up. And she's literally scrubbing pots and pans for hours here at the church. She felt no obligation for this. Listen, when we talk about gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about, man, get on a stage and change the world for Jesus. What we're talking about is how you change the world for simple acts of service, empowered with the Spirit of Jesus for the glory of Jesus. You're gifted. You're gifted, and if you don't know Jesus, man, how awesome would it be to let him in and to let him use you like that? I love what Michael Horton says. The gospel makes us, now notice this, extrospective, turning our gaze upward to God in faith and outward to, the, to our neighbor in love. That's what the, that's what the gifts are about. And so <clears throat> this is what the gifts are about. What do the gifts actually look like? <laughs> Like, what are these gifts? I keep saying they're out there. There are several lists of gifts in the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, though we have some in the Old Testament presented all over the place. Um, But I want to give you one of those lists just to give you a taste, but I do encourage you to look up the list gifts in your Bible when you leave. But 1 Corinthians 12, 8, 1 through 11 is one such list, but it's even this is a partial list. So let's read it. It says, For to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, that's one of them, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, what? Faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. Uh Uh-oh. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So this is a list, a very practical list of some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what we've said is they're both uh, natural and supernatural gifts. So we've got everything from uh, this gal is just super wise to like someone else is like discerning what's an angel and what's a demon. Like, they're natural and they're supernatural. And there's lists like this in our Bibles. And so we, we can actually study these. And I want to encourage you. We actually are, we, Jason talked about this earlier, but we're giving uh, this book out for five bucks or theft, whichever you choose. <laughs> uh, go ahead and grab one of those, you know, sneak it out in your purse. But uh, that, that, that booklet actually has an entire section devoted to these gifts. And there's not just like a section devoted to these gifts from the Bible. Oh, there's totally that. All right, we're very much a Bible church. But of course, because it's Jason Clark, he went through and made like this very awesome activity. And so you're going to explore and it's going to take you some time. I would really encourage you to grab those booklets. Uh, Not just because like, oh my gosh, like we're all doing this together, but because this is going to transform your life. I remember last time we did a series like this called Calling. We just rebranded. The the gifts section actually rocked our small group and people were talking about it for like months afterwards. I mean, today I still have people going, when I went through the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the Bible and the crazy activity, God ruined my life and now I'm doing all new things. That's the power that this has. That's the power of scripture in your life. And so explore that. Uh, Furthermore, 
I think this is beautiful and it's powerful how different the gifts are, right? Not just supernatural and natural, but like even the natural gifts, there's all different ones. There's helps like we see in Sarah Sigmund. There's wisdom like we see in people here at this church like Dave Gray or Steve Overby or Mike Tompkins or Ken Pettit or Dave Bradley or Sherry Gray, you know, amen. Sharon Hawking, I'm talking to all these people. I'm like, you have the gift of wisdom, how different these are how different these kinds of gifts are. And this, um, th- these gift lifts are very important to study through, so I just really encourage you to walk through that and ask this question. This is the most important question you ask. Lord, what have you given me? What have you given me for the purpose of serving your church? And then when you approach things like team night, that you're showing up saying, Lord, I feel like you're stirring in me to move this way and not that way. And one of the things we press on a lot is that this church is full of young people who want to do everything, burn out and then die. Okay. And I've seen it happen. Okay. I have experienced burnout myself. Burnout is not from doing too many things only. It's from doing the wrong things. When you're sitting there and you're like, I'm grinding away and I'm like trying to work on this spreadsheet when really you just want to spend time with people. Or you're spending all this time with people and you're exhausted at the end of the day and you're like, I won't do spreadsheets for Jesus, Lord. Like, let me do that. You know what? That's okay. And the Holy Spirit wants to use you elsewhere. And that is something to walk through. Uh, So, the elephant in the room. These are the gifts. Let's talk about the scary gifts. Gifts, prophecy, and tongues, oh my. I'm doing this now because I don't want to have 45 different emails tomorrow. Okay, what are the spiritual gifts? Um, well, there's natural and there's supernatural, and there's what would, some would call sign gifts, sign gifts. And these include things like miracles, tongues, and prophecy. And there is some debate in Christianity throughout the ages that says, like, are these things still around? Are these things still around? And part of why I want to address this is because some of you are going to get to the gifts list and uh, read it in the Bible, and you're going to be like, holy moly, like, maybe I have one of these. And so I want, I want to explore them. So here's, here's one of them, tongues, tongues. If you're taking notes, I would write this down. Wayne Grudem defines the gift of tongues this way, prayer or praise not understood by the speaker. If you're new to Christianity, we are weirdos, okay? <laughs> this is in our Bibles. This is what Wayne Grudem's talking about, prayer or praise not understood by the speaker. This is pretty cool. This is a miraculous gift. This shows a sign of the age to come. And uh, if it seems weird to you, it seems weird to us too. And here's the thing. It's just weird enough to be real. Your soul knows there's something more out there. Your soul knows that there's someone out there. And if he really is there, he ought to be doing some crazy stuff that you wouldn't expect. And so what are tongues? Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 through 16 uh, describes these. Um, Before I get into that, let me just say in Acts chapter 2, when I talked about they spoke in other languages, that's one form of tongues. And there is also in the Bible another form of tongues. What are these two forms? The first one is a missionary gift. A missionary gift, one where you you go into foreign countries or you meet people who speak other languages, and for whatever reason, God speaks to that person through you in a language that you've never spoken. Uh, Now, I'm more like linear, a little more academically inclined, and to be honest, when I became a Christian, I was like, sorry, what? Like, I just wasn't, like, no way. 
And then I um, met this guy who was the head of a, uh, you know, the history department of a school here in Portland area, one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Honestly, one of uh, just those very few people you meet that you're just straight up intimidated by, because you're like, uh, anything I say, like if it's anything to do with history, I'm gonna look dumb, okay? And just correcting you all the time and just super nice guy, but he, he, he knew a ton. Well, anyway, he's very much the academic type, taught classes, all over the place, and a Christian guy. And I remember talking to him one day about this topic, and I said, what do you think about tongues? Like, your nose is constantly in books. Like, you're the most sober, normal, like, least Holy Spirit-looking dude I've ever met. What do you think about this gift? And I remember him telling me, he said, uh, yeah, like, I've been a cessationist, meaning I believe that ceased. Like, I, I, basically, it's saying, like, I'm too academic to believe that it exists. And so he's like, I've never, I've never believed that exists until one day, I was in another country, and we were sharing the gospel with somebody, and it wasn't until after I shared the gospel that I realized our translator wasn't there, and the guy's trying to talk to us in his foreign language, this other language, and we couldn't understand him, and we're like, how did you understand us? And he gave his life to Jesus. And he's like, so I didn't believe in tongues until I did it. And he's like, I I still to this day, I'm shaken by it. I can't believe that happened. Like it was confirmed by everyone. Like this guy did not speak any English at all. But God, the Holy Spirit speaks his language and he spoke it through us. So the first type is a missionary gift. The other type is what some have called a prayer language, a prayer language. And this is coming from the Bible. First Corinthians 14, 15 through 16 says this. What am I to do? This is Paul talking to a bunch of people who are trying to experience miracles. He says, what am I to do? And, and just for context, actually, he's trying to help them like mitigate their miracle ambitions a little bit. He's like, maybe you guys should scale that back a little bit, okay? But even as he's scaling it back, he says this about tongues, prayer language. I will pray with my, what? Spirit, but I will pray with my mind also, meaning I don't understand what I'm saying, but it's prayer. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Now, what is he talking about here, and why does this pertain to, like, there is a prayer language? Some would argue against the prayer language, say, no, it's always a missionary gift if it exists. And uh, I think Paul here is pushing back. And the reason why I say that is if it is a missionary gift, what that means is other people who don't believe in Jesus will believe in Jesus through it, right? Like, it's used for the purpose of reaching outsiders. Uh, But here, Paul says, careful about praying in tongues and singing in tongues at church. Why? Because outsiders won't have any idea what you are saying. How is that possible if it's a missionary gift? Here's what I would contend biblically. Um, You're free to disagree with me, by the way. Uh, I'll fight you, but it's okay. Like, this is an open-hand issue. But I believe it is also biblical that, that those who come into Rise City Church and say, I have a prayer language. I pray to the Holy Spirit, and, and I, I speak in a tongue when I do. Listen, I believe that's biblical. I believe that's biblical. It's intimacy with Jesus. And so we wouldn't say you shouldn't do that. That's actually something in the Bible. Um, I have good friends here at this church who pray in a tongue. Meanwhile, I have asked the Holy Spirit numerous times, will you give me a tongue? And uh, thus far, he said, not yet, (laughs) not yet. And I don't know why he doesn't give it to everyone. Um, And it's a beautiful gift. 
Uh, but I do think it has to do with the fact that this isn't something God's pressuring all of us to do, that you sort of need to conjure it up like we talked about earlier, but it's something we may anticipate if that's something you want to receive, and he may give if it's something that he wants you to have. Uh, so that's tongues. Uh, email me at Kristen at rise.cc. <laughs> Second one is prophecy. This one's also strange. Wayne Grudem says, telling something God has spontaneously brought to mind. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, uh, this telling something God had spontaneously brought to mind is described in verse 3 of that same chapter in 1 Corinthians. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see a different kind of prophecy. There was prophets of the Old Testament, and they showed up, and they scared people to death because they were like, hey, thus says the Lord, you guys are sinning against the Lord. You're in huge trouble, and like, watch out for punitive action, like duck and cover, right? And then they'd be like, well, we need to turn to the Lord. And he'd be like, dude, there's grace. There's grace. And so the Old Testament prophets, they wrote scripture, and sometimes it was gnarly. In the New Testament, though, and, and here's what I want you to see. That in the New Testament, there is another kind of gift of prophecy. And it is not, thus says the Lord, what God says, I heard it clearly, and I will preach scripture to you. That is not what the New Testament preaches. On the other hand, in the New Testament, there is described here the stirring of the Holy Spirit, where you're like, man, I feel like God wants to say this to this person. And it lines up with scripture and I want to encourage them. It's not this future thing, and, and, and it's from him for them, and it's different. It's not at the level of scripture. We don't, we don't prophesy scripture to people. It's a lower authority, but it, it comes as an encouragement from the author of scripture, the Holy Spirit, and I want to I'll note a few things about this verse, and this is all coming from the Greek and long study, okay? The first thing is that it's upbuilding, Prophecy, if you're going to practice this in our church, we have to do it biblically. It's up building. It's up building. I have friends who have shared with me that they've come from other churches where someone spoke a prophetic word that was terrifying. That, man, someone's going to like die in your family. That, that, that I see you in this grave, horrendous sin, and you're, it's tempting you. And they're like, that's not even true. And they were broken by these impersonations of the Holy Spirit. And it was not true. And the reason why it was not true is because prophecy is something that God uses not to tear down the church, but to build it up. And so let me just say this with as much tact and grace as I can. Don't give a harmful word to people. Don't give a harmful word to people. That's not from the Lord. He upbuilds. Now, does he convict? Yeah, sometimes. But he builds up his church. It builds up. It, it does not harm or destroy. And the Greek is very clear on this. Uh, number two, it's instruction. It calls people to align with Jesus. It never calls people to, to like weird uh, personal revelations of new things. It's never new. It calls people to align with Jesus. Man, I just want to encourage you. I feel like the Holy Spirit, uh, as I was praying this morning and reading First Kings, wanted me to encourage you that you are a great leader, that, that God sees your work in private. I don't know if it's really uh, the Holy Spirit or not, but this is my sense, and I just want to subject that to you. And, and, they, and if it's real, like, man, they're going to sense that. They're going to know that this is prophetic or it's not prophetic. Finally, it comforts. What I think the Greek here is talking about, it's the same term that actually Jesus says of the Holy Spirit. It comes from that term, parakaletas. It's the one who comes alongside. This is a, a prophetic word that 
comes alongside you for your encouragement towards Jesus. In other words, it reminds people of the finished work of Jesus. What's that? The gospel. And lastly, it's weighed. It's weighed. Uh, Actually, in 1 Corinthians 14, now verse 29, he says that you are not to just take prophecy at face value, but you are constantly to weigh it, meaning put it on a scale, test it, see if it agrees with the Bible. And if it does not agree with the Bible, it, it actually is to be dismissed. Not in, in ruthlessness and like, you're, you're dumb and like, don't ever prophesy again. Like, we're going to stone you, you know, like, don't do that. But it's like, hey, I don't know that this is, this is it. I experienced this a couple weeks ago um, where my wife and I have shared that my son, Remy, he struggles with uh, his eye kind of turns inward and we've been walking this process and stuff. And one of our great fears is that, man, will he be able to play sports? Will he be able to learn well? All of this stuff. And uh, a woman came up to, this is a woman who is an entrepreneur. She's brilliant. She's bright. She's smart. She's a leader. And she comes up to my wife, Lindsay. They don't know each other super well. And she's like, hey, this might be a little weird, but uh, this doesn't happen often, but I feel you like the Holy Spirit stirred in me something this week that I got to share with you. And she's like, okay, you know, like, what is it? And she's like, I, I just want you to like test this, but I'm going to pray for you. And she sat there and she prayed over my wife and shared this prophetic word until my wife was in tears. And we just, we've been clinging to that prophetic word. And I just invite you, if you want to do this in a healthy way and you believe you have this gift, if you don't have this gift, like don't force it. But if you believe you have this gift, I think this is something that can breathe life into our church. And so lastly, how do we apply this? How do I walk in power? Well, here's the deal. I've talked about these extraordinary gifts. You need extraordinary power for ordinary work. There's this part in Exodus where God, the Holy Spirit actually breathes into Uh, some of the followers of God, and he breathes into them other kinds of gifts. And those gifts are specifically for craftsmanship in the temple. Why is that significant? Because everybody thinks that the Holy Spirit shows up and prophesies through people and like works miracles and heals people and people are getting up. And sometimes he does that. But the Holy Spirit also shows up when you show up at the office at 6 a.m. to do your everyday work. And so ultimately, what I want you to take away is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just for the extraordinary, but for ordinary work, for ordinary stuff. And I'll just show you this thing I got this week. I was looking for a new Bible, and I found this Bible right here. Uh, It's made by Crossway, and it's part of this, like, artistry series. And can you guys see this? It's like fire, isn't it? Like, what is this thing? It's so cool. And it's this art. And um, all over is this art by a designer who's not a biblical theologian, but he's a designer. He's a designer. He's an artist. He draws. He has done work for Facebook and Sony. And then Crossway saw his work and said, hey, what if you used your everyday skill and you actually wrapped God's word in the beauty of your artistry? Listen, we are everyday people. Ordinary people working ordinary jobs, doing ordinary things in the everyday stuff of life. And what you need is you need to catch a vision for the Holy Spirit being breathed into you, breathed, um, breathing life in and through you to wrap the beauty of all that God's do, done in the gospel, in the everyday work of your life so that his majesty might ultimately show. Amen.